0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. In Braves Country, we are so excited for you to meet our new proud sponsor. Billy Reed. Now, Billy is an award-winning fashion designer who is redefining global style from his home base in the Shoals in Alabama. He is also a die-hard baseball fan who grew up cheering on the Braves, and he offers a line of Atlanta-inspired hats, t-shirts, and accessories that embody the soul of our city. Billy and his team craft luxurious made-in-the-USA shirts, denim, and more, all with a timeless modern style that will have you wearing them again and again. Experience them for yourself at his two Atlanta shops, one in Buckhead and one at White Provisions or discover them online at BillyReed.com. That's BillyReed, R E I D.com. Welcome to Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast from MLB.com, virtually alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael, former relief pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. And we have, I think this is our third current uh, relief pitcher that we've had on this show. We've had uh, Jerry Blevins and Luke Jackson. hope I'm not forgetting anybody there. point here is we like having relief relievers on this show because (laughs) a Greg is a reliever. So there's obviously a good connection there, but, uh, but obviously relievers to me are just always so interesting and the, the role they have is so dynamic and, uh, just interesting to always pick their brains. And today's no different with Shane Green, of course, uh, the Braves acquired him last year at the trade deadline from Detroit, where he was Detroit's closer and an All Star, and um, he's one of the pieces that has helped solidify our bullpen and that has us poised for hopefully a run at uh, at the World Series this year. Whenever we whenever we do uh, get the season going, I'm I don't know any more information. And neither does Greg than than anything you're all reading out there. But we're all optimistic that hopefully we are going to play baseball in 2020. It seems like we're trending that direction. And, uh, so let's just keep that trend going and, uh, hopefully that's what happens. But, uh, Shane Green on, first of all, he, he, uh, he was, he was, he's getting ready for the season. He was working out this morning and he came out of the gym and got into his truck and, uh, fired up his phone and did this interview with us from his truck, which you're going to hear. I think you'll hear a few of the, of the fellow people he was working out with peeled out of the parking lot in their trucks or, <laughs> or, or motorcycles or something. Uh, Where was he in Virginia? <laughs> it sounded like it. It sounded like my, it sounded like my, uh, my home turf. That's for sure. It's, it reminded me of home, Greg, all the noises. That's <laughs> heard in the back. Uh, but yeah, he's down in Florida, staying ready, staying in shape for the season. Um, and I thought you and him, I love having relievers on, as I mentioned, because it's always cool. You, you have that. I mean, any player you have that connection with because you're a player, but particularly the relief pitcher, I, I feel like you guys can kind of talk shop a little bit and I enjoy listening to it. So, um, it was great to get to know Shane you know I'll be honest sometimes when I've seen him he seems a little bit uh, like I wasn't sure just because he's relatively new if he was kind of quiet and reserved kind of that stoic look about him um, but it was great to get him on here because he you know he opened right up and, and we had a great conversation with him so uh, what are your thoughts uh first impressions of Shane
1: yeah I thought a uh, very humble guy uh, pretty down to earth I think he just and he kind of mentions that. Couple times you can tell by the way he talks that, um, you know, he, you would be able to go hang out. He loves to fish. I mean, anybody that loves fishing. I mean, you got a—he's just a good old boy that uh, likes to go and talk, talks to you know about fishing with his buddies. I thought that was great. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes I know I played with some guys that can seem a little aloof. They're they're a little bit more laid back, and, and obviously when you're in a new situation. I guess, and we talk about this during the podcast that you're you're surrounded by a bunch of new relationships. You've got new fans. You got a new stadium. Everything's new. It's hard to really be yourself. It takes some time, and and uh, and just the interviews that I read from him and what I've continued to read this off season, he seems a lot more relaxed, and and I think that comes across.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He gets into – we get into it with him a little bit about um, – and we didn't really – he kind of was – as you'll hear, I think he's kind of the one that brought this up, that when he first got traded to Atlanta, you know, he he had a little bit of a rough go of it there the first week or two. Um, and I remember his first appearance with the Braves, and he had a rough outing. He came out – and if I remember right, I, it, was, it wasn't it was all his fault either. A little bit of bad luck, I think. Oh, like, yeah. Bloop here, there. Broken you know, bad jam yeah. shots, bloops. You know, but I remember that being in the press box at Truist Park, and it was—I think it was a Saturday—because um, it was a big crowd, and it was at night. And when he came out of that bullpen for the first time, all the lights go down, the the music cranks up. Braze Vision had put together this really cool. I Remember, it was it was literally green, like some of the imagery all throughout the stadium uh, to accompany the music. And I mean, and the the crowd was ready. This the new closer coming in. And I remember thinking in that moment, man, like the amount of pressure that has to be on somebody like that coming <laughs> into that. And then we find out in this interview, the lead up to that of being in California with the Tigers and then being told he's traded, trying to get a flight and basically being in the air all night, not getting to Atlanta till 5am and then getting in a, in a uniform a couple hours after that. And the next thing you know, you're thrust into this. Postseason run with a contending team in front of 40,000 people, I just – the amount of pressure that 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 must have been on him in that, that moment and that is on you guys in these kind of situations is pretty pretty incredible. But to hear him talk about that and that whole transition and getting comfortable here uh, in Atlanta, um, it's a really, really insightful interview with Shane, I think. Again, I, I was pumped. I really pumped after we, we hung up with Shane just because it's a newer guy like that who I thought was – maybe kind of quiet or I just didn't know basically. And then you find out, now he's just a, he's a, a normal guy, fun, you know, uh, likes to laugh and uh, thoughtful and, uh, and he's doing some cool work with his champions rise challenge thing too, which you'll hear a little bit about. So uh, that, that's just a, is
1: a fun conversation we had with Shane. Yeah. It's always nice to have people on that we've not met. You know, we've been trying to make it a habit as soon as guys sign to get them on, introduce them, talk a little about, find out a little bit about him. Uh, We just didn't get to do that with Shane because it was the middle of the season. And, uh, of course, things quickly ramped up right after the deadline, going to the playoffs, and it's just it was a difficult time. So I was glad to to get him on today.
0: Absolutely. Well, we had a lot of fun getting to know Shane Green, and uh, hopefully you will too. So without further ado, here he is, Braves pitcher, Shane Green.
1: Well, hey, Shane. uh, Good morning and welcome to Behind the Braves. Uh, We're glad you're joining us today. We've got, um, uh, as you said a little bit earlier, we've got a lot of time that we can think through some things that uh, we want to do. And I know you're trying to work out and get ready for the bell to ring. And uh, we're we're enjoying being able to uh, do some more podcasts for the fans. And so Mm -hmm. we appreciate you being on today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, it's a crazy time in the world right now, I guess, so doing my best to stay ready, and uh, this is like the fourth or fifth podcast I've done since the quarantine, so that's been a lot of fun to to be a part of these things, uh, Gives give people something to do, something to listen to.
1: Yeah, great. Well, we're glad you're here, and we know you got some special things going, and we want to talk about that, but first, just want to kind of reflect a little bit about um, you coming over to the Braves and uh, we we love the position that our bullpen's in. We love what uh, happened last year. We've got a lot of, um, as we look for 2020 when the season starts, we think that we're perfectly positioned to have another great year with a great bullpen, and so I know that for me, I, I was in a transition in my career where I went from one team to the next in the middle of the season, and sometimes that can be a little difficult. Do you feel like that? those things have settled down that you feel like you're uh, a part of the team now and, and, uh, and ready to, ready to rock and roll?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, when I came over last year, obviously I scuffled a little bit, uh, but the, the, the team opened me with or welcomed me with open arms right away. Um, baseball is a hard game, you know? So although I was scuffling, uh, I felt a part of the team, you know, right away. And, uh, once I started pitching a little better, it was easier for me to get comfortable, uh, and the locker room's got a bunch of good guys in it, um, you know, that make you feel like you're a part of the family right away, like I said, and, you know, it takes it takes time to build off of that. Um, although you feel comfortable right away, uh, you don't have those relationships with your teammates and your, and your coaching staff yet, so... Um, you know, I think going through what we went through last year, especially how the season ended, uh, when you go through stuff like that, I think it makes you come together even closer. And I've kind of felt that way during spring training this year, and we we're all looking forward to building off of that. And then this coronavirus thing happened. So, um, you know, I'm, I can't speak for everybody, but I assume everybody's ready to get back together and, uh, you know, try to get this thing going again.
1: You think that – the way things look with so much talent in the bullpen people from the outside think, Oh my gosh, I can't believe, do they really like that? Because they're, you know, they're, they're having to share kind of roles and, and you've got so many good players that one person can't dominate the bullpen. But you, I mean, you know, as well as I do, when you get into that team environment, you want to win. I mean, and you're not looking at just, you know, winning today and, and for, you know, a couple months. You're looking at winning throughout the postseason, going to the World Series. And when you're on a team as dynamic as the Braves right now, it just makes everybody better. It makes you feel good about going to the ballpark. And yeah, you may not be the man on that day. Um, and it may be one other guy stepping on the bullpen, but because you're surrounded by so much talent, you just you feel good about your team. And and so is that kind of what's going on with you guys right now? I mean, when you look at your bullpen, you gotta feel really good about it.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I say it all the time when the shit hits the fan, that phone in the dugout only goes to one place, you know? So, uh, (laughs) to have a a group of guys like we have out there, um, ready to go at any moment, I think that it's going to be one of our strengths. Um, you know, pitching with the game on the line is something that, um, you got to get used to doing. And I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity and opportunity in Detroit. Um, And, you know, obviously when I was there, we weren't winning a whole lot of games. So you come over here and now you're expected to win every game and you got a chance to win a World Series, it changes the dynamic of everything. So I think, uh, you know, having the characters that we have in the clubhouse and understanding that we got a chance to win the whole thing and that being the number one priority, I think roles get thrown out the window. Um, You know, I think it's important to know your role because uh, it's easier to stay ready for that role uh, throughout the course of the game and throughout the course of a season. But as far as like the pride thing and the ego thing goes, I think that our guys all understand that if we – If we're the last team standing, it doesn't matter if you're pitching the first inning or the ninth inning.
0: Shane, I wanted to talk about uh, the trade deadline last year a little bit. Just I think as putting my my fan hat on, I think as fans, we get caught up, especially when we have a contending team, we get caught up. And as the trade deadline gets closer, all the rumors, and it's exciting for fans to see, okay, our team – we're gonna be buyers and we're gonna get this guy. And last year with the Braves, obviously the, the the all the bullpen acquisitions, including yourself that the the Braves front office made was really exciting for the fans. But I think sometimes as fans, maybe we don't think about what that must be like for the players whose names are involved and all the rumors you gotta be hearing and all of that. I mean, what is that like to go through that? I mean, are you able to how hard is it to tune out the rumors? Are you paying any attention to it? Um, I mean, how, how hard is that to stay focused mentally when all that's going on?
2: Um, I mean, I got Twitter and I got Instagram, you know, so I'm seeing the articles and, and the whatever's about, you know, the rumors and the potential traits here and there. Um, and because of my situation in Detroit, and I had been around long enough to see kind of how the business side works. Uh, I had a really good feeling I was probably going to get traded. I just didn't know where, you know. So, um, and then I started the season off hot, had a really good uh, first half. Um, and, you know, every good outing, I felt like I was one step closer to getting traded. So, I was reading the articles. I was I was playing what ifs in my own head. Um, and to be honest with you, out of all the teams that I was – being rumored to go to, if I had to pick one, I would have picked the Braves. Uh, I grew up a Braves fan, knew the team was stupid talented. Uh, played in Atlanta. Uh, the atmosphere in the stadium was amazing. When the lights go off and they do the chop with the phones, like all that was incredible. So I was really excited uh, right away. Um, I think what a lot of a lot of fans don't understand is that like when you get traded, you don't you don't get to like go home and pack your stuff and. You know, get the family together and you know get a week or two to to get settled in. No, like I was in California. The deadline was at one o'clock California time. We had a game at one o'clock California time. Um, I'm getting dressed for a game when they call when they call me and they tell me I'm traded, and then. All my teammates or ex-teammates and coaching staff and the guys that I've been in the clubhouse with every day for five years, they're all out on the field. So I had a choice to either not say anything to them or go say bye in the middle of the game. So I had to go out there and say bye to everybody during the middle of that game and then couldn't get a flight out of California until nine o'clock at night, which got me to Atlanta at five o'clock in the morning. And I was in a Braves uniform for game time, seven o'clock that night. So uh, it happens. It happens really, really fast and for me that that like first 48 hours was a crazy roller coaster ride emotionally I was super excited for the new chapter in my life but it's a weird feeling when um you know I had special relationships with the coaching staff and the players and the training staff and stuff in Detroit I was there for a long time and uh saying bye to them and not knowing when and if I'd see them again so Um, you have those emotions, then you have the excitement of being on the new team that's supposed to be really good. And then you have the expectations that you put on yourself to show up and get the job done because, uh, the whole world's expecting you to. So all these things are going through your head and you got to do your best to put this new uniform on and in this new locker room with a bunch of new faces who, um, are expecting you to show up and get the job done. And then you go out there and you suck. Uh, it's not, it's not fun. It's not easy. Uh, But it's a part of the game, man. It's a really, really, really hard game. Um, You can do everything right and fail, and you can do everything wrong and succeed. So it's about dealing with that, with those failures and those successes um, on the the biggest stage.
0: That's what I thought. I mean, the the range of emotions that you have to go through. I mean, you've been with this organization for five years. You're an all-star but at the same time, now you get the chance to come to the team you rooted for and potentially win World Series, or at least have, the, hopefully, have the opportunity to. I just, and then also trying to get a flight from one side of the country to the other, and yeah, not yeah. I, much.
2: <laughs> I landed in Atlanta at five in the morning after being on a flight from California, uh, exhausted uh, but excited. You know, so like it's one of those things where it was like Christmas Eve night, hard to sleep anyways, and I'm on a flight. You know, yeah. so it was uh, those first couple of days I was lacking some sleep. Let's put it that way.
1: It, it is crazy to think, you know, that it, I, it happened to me three times. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And it, it is really difficult when you think about, you know, our fan base. Our fans are loyal to the Braves. They're loyal, they're loyal to, you know, whichever team they're following. But when you get kind of moved around like that, it is really tough to connect with that team. And it kind of numbs you a little bit because you really see the business side of it. And it, it, it almost kind of draws you in to think about just yourself to some degree, as opposed to that's why one of my questions was asking you how, you know, do you feel like you're gelled with your team at this point? Because sometimes it takes a little time to let you guard down to kind of attach yourself to that team and those players because you have struggled, you know, and you've been tossed around and traded. and go So it is a, it is a strange dynamic how that happens, and it does take a little bit of time to, to reconnect.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I uh, I was also very fortunate that when I made my debut, uh, Brian McCann was my catcher in New York. So um, I, had, I had a relationship with him um, from playing in New York and keeping in touch uh, throughout the course of my career. And if anybody that knows Brian McCann knows that he's just a big child, you know, uh, he plays the game the right way, and he's super intense during the game, but – uh, off the field, I mean, the guy can make anybody feel comfortable and feel at home, you know, so having him in the clubhouse helped me a lot, honestly, because um, yeah. I knew he had those relationships with the guys because I knew what kind of teammate he was, and we had a good relationship, so he kind of just put me under his wing, uh introduced mm-hmm. me to the boys, and then you know I felt like I fitted in right away. one thing I noticed with um with you you know you
1: said it, it, you know you felt like you you really weren't pitching that well at first, and now you felt like you settled in. One thing I think is real important, too, for, for the fans to know is that when you're settled in like you were in Detroit, you had people that are watching you every day, coaches, other players, that they could see if something happened. And when you go to a new organization, yeah, you know, Alex and them did their homework. They, they scouted you. They knew exactly what kind of pitch you were. But, but when you're thinking about, you know, Marty, and, and, um, he, he's now in charge of watching you every day. And if he sees you, he doesn't know if you've drifted or not from the little nuances that you need to be successful. And so when you go to go to a new team like the Braves, you can get out of whack very easily because you don't have those people around you that can say, hey, why are you doing that? And I noticed that happened to me when I got traded to the Dodgers for a period of time. They didn't know me from Adam. And so I drifted from who I was and it took me, you know, kind of a little bit of time to say, what am I, why am I doing that? Did, did you feel like you experienced some of that?
2: Um, yeah, uh, a little bit. I think, I think for me, the biggest thing was, uh, I wanted to show up and be lights out so bad, uh, that my desire to be that turned into my biggest weakness. Mm. There was nothing I wanted more than to be the guy that showed up and was lights out and the city of Atlanta, you know, kind of jumped on my back. Uh, and then we go and win the whole thing and I'm the last guy on the mound to get the last out of the world series. Like the amount of times that I thought about that scenario throughout the whole course of that, uh, time period is you can't even count. Um, so I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and then, you know, it's once it starts not going your way, you can either, you know, lay down and hide, or you can Mm. stand up and go fight back and, uh, you know, the one thing about being a reliever is you can give it up today, but tomorrow you better be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was still getting put out there. I was still getting put into important games. And uh, once I finally had a good outing, something to build off of, uh, you know, I started started to get the wheels under me again. And then I finished the year strong. But that first that first two weeks, I'm sure the fans weren't real happy with me. But let me tell you, I wasn't real happy with me either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't say this just because I'm talking to two relief pitchers, and I think I've said this on behind the Braves before. To me, the, the toughest job in baseball has to be a uh, be being a relief pitcher, just because of the volatile nature of the role. And I mean volatile in that you might have to pitch three days in a row, you might not pitch for seven days, and you might be put into a certain situation one day that's completely different from the one you're put in the next day. And it's just the mental toughness that you have to guy that you guys have to have is just something I. I envy so much. Um, I did want to ask you, because you mentioned I, you grew up in Florida, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I grew up in uh, Claremont, Florida. Claremont, okay.
0: Um, so, and you grew up a, a Braves fan, as you mentioned. So, I'm just curious, who was your who was your guy when you were uh, rooting the Braves on as a, as a youngster?
2: Growing up, uh, I was a Chipper Jones fan. And everybody where I was from was a Chipper Jones fan. Like, every kid in Little League wanted to wear number 10, you know? Uh, so I was a huge Shipper Jones fan. But um, back in those days when the, when the games were on, what, TBS or whatever it was, uh, I didn't miss an inning. You know, I, watched, I watched games every single night as a kid. And uh, that's when, you know, the Braves were obviously really, really good back then. So being a kid and being able to watch that every single night um, and then Shipper being the superstar that he was, um, it, was it was easy. Well, wearing number 19, I thought I would read off a
1: few of our uh, alumni who wore 19 that you may not recognize. Uh, R.A. Dickey, so uh, Cy Young award winner, he wore number 19. Uh, let's see, um, Mike Mordecai, World Series team, Francisco Cabrera, one of the biggest hits in Braves history. War number 19, uh, Terry Harper uh, back in the 80s. Tommy Aaron, Hank's brother, war number 19. And uh, let's see, Alvin Dark from the Boston Braves. But one of my favorite all times, Ernie Johnson, uh, the late Ernie Johnson. Which uh, if you ever watch NBA basketball, his son Ernie Johnson Jr. is one of the um, does a big show. So uh, those are some of our uh, Braves alumni that wore number 19. I think you got a great
2: number, and hopefully you wear it proud. I appreciate it. I was I was out. I was stressing out a little bit when I was coming over to see what number I was going to be. Because I basically just kept the number that was given to me when I first came up, my whole career. But Sabaka had it, and I didn't want to take that from him, so I just flipped it upside down and turned it into a 19. And here we are. But there was a little bit. Of, there was a little bit of stress involved.
1: Okay. All right. I know. I know. We. You know. People uh, blame us all the time for being superstitious, and I tell them it's not superstition. It's routine. We like our routines because, as pitchers. We have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again and do it to perfection. And so that's called a routine. That's not superstition.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think you could break it down even further to where, like, elite athletes, we have so much to stress about because we're on the highest stage or the biggest stage in the world. And uh, we're graded and we're, we're judged on our performances um, that doing the exact same thing every single day just takes – the little stresses in our life that we don't even know that we have and it eliminates them. So the only thing that we have to worry about is that performance on that day yeah, uh, instead of worrying about what you're going to eat and what time and what so- you know, where your, shoe- where your shoes are and what shoes you're going to wear or what socks you're going to wear. Like if you have it down to a routine, then all those little stresses are non-existent. And the only thing you have to worry about and stress about is, is that performance. Yeah, that's well said.
0: Well, Shane, we, uh, we've talked about this with Adam Duvall on our last episode. And we've mentioned it a number of times over the last two months that when we first started this podcast almost two years ago now, we Greg and I swore we would never do any interviews um, over the phone or over the computer. We said, we're going to do all of our interviews in person. And- Welcome to 2020. <laughs> Welcome to 2020. Things have changed a little bit. Uh, so we're recording this over Zoom. And as I wanted to transition that into something that you're involved in now, uh, Champions Rise, which if I'm not mistaken from reading about it, it's, you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings through this, this Champions Rise organization.
2: Um, yeah, so uh, basically what happened on my side is uh, I play with Mikey Mato who reached out to me. Um, we're good friends, and he reached out to me, and he's, he's more of uh, like behind the scenes with all this stuff. He's very close friends with uh, JR, the guy who's starting the whole deal. Uh, and he asked me if I wanted to be a part of it and he explained to me what it is. And basically what it is, is uh, a platform for uh, athletes to get on and, and talk to the youth and, and the parents of the youth about you know, their journeys and coaching tips and workouts. And it, basically anything that we can say or do to help that kid or that parent understand uh, what it is that the kid needs to do uh, to reach the highest level. And it's, it's little things like, hey, should my kid only play basketball if he wants to be a basketball player? Or should my kid play every sport? Or uh, how do you grip a change-up? Or, uh, you know, what age do you start working out? Like all these questions that parents have and kids have. Uh, we're doing our best to, to take ourselves off the platform that we get put on, make them understand that we're humans too. We were all once in those shoes playing in the Little Leagues and all this stuff, uh, explaining to them what we did, what we learned from it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's an exact recipe to get to the highest level, but I know that everybody has a journey and everybody's journey is going to be different. And I think that us sharing that uh, with people can help them, you know, kind of connect their own dots.
1: Yeah, the, that's, of the list. You look at
0: the uh, championsrisechallenge.com. I mean, yourself, uh, Joe Girardi, Alex Bregman, Aaron Nola, George Springer, uh, Eric Burns, Kevin Gosman, former Brave. I mean, that's just part of the list. I'm just reading off there. I mean, it is quite a quite a collection of talent that uh, that has been assembled for this. This is, I mean, it looks awesome for whoever parents, kids, whoever want to sign up for this. This is. This just looks like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity and especially now while we're all at home anyways and we're trying to figure out ways to better ourselves and to learn and and that sort of thing it seems like the perfect opportunity to do that
2: yeah no doubt and it and like I said it it's easy to watch watch Bregman you know hit batting practice and try to learn from him but uh listening to someone like that talk about you know the mindset and the thoughts behind it and uh you know maybe what drill he does behind the scenes or what drill I do behind the scenes that nobody sees or talks about, uh, that I feel like locks me in or he may feel like, you know, locks him in just the little things, uh, that, that people don't see on a regular basis. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be special.
1: Yeah. I see here where there's an element of it that's free and there's a a lifetime membership that you can join, but, uh, hundred percent of the profits going to charity, the American foundation for suicide prevention and the Jed Foundation, so it's pretty cool what you guys are doing. And um, you know, I think we're all searching for ways to see how we can help uh, in, in what everybody's going through. And um, this seems to be a great platform. You got a great lineup of guys from motivational speakers to it looks like pastors to uh, obviously baseball, softball, football, people from all walks of life, and and uh, I'm sure the the families are really going to enjoy that and. Obviously, Zoom has been a has been a, a big thing for all of us. Oh yeah. That I I don't think honestly I don't even know if I ever heard of Zoom before <laughs> this all happened.
2: <laughs> I downloaded it this morning. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> we we use several platforms uh, at work, but uh, we're all still trying to be productive and work. But we sure want baseball to come back but we just want our fans to you know check out what you're doing championsrisechallenge.com they can check that out and hopefully that'll that'll make a big impact you guys are trying to donate what hundred thousand dollars to charity
2: yeah i mean uh really the sky's the limit right i don't think that you can really put a number to it i think that the most important thing is is reaching out and and changing somebody's life first with our words and then hopefully financially helping others as well you know so um at the end of the day man we're all a bunch of humans on a floating rock in the middle of nowhere and uh it's 2020 and i can look at your face and you can be across the the world uh it's time for for people to come together as one and love each other and understand that uh, we're all in this together no matter good bad or ugly um it's it's just us so Uh, love each other and and learn from each other and be happy. That's
0: awesome. Uh, That's well said. Well, Shane, thank you so much for your time. Last question from me. Um, And I, we had so much fun talking with Adam Duvall about this. I wanted to ask you the same question to end on. Uh, We had asked him what were, had he picked up any new hobbies or things during this uh, quarantine and I think if I remember right off the top of my head, he said he was going to try to learn how to play guitar, which he said had not gone well. He was going to train his dog, which had also not gone well. And the one out of the three that he said he had almost accomplished was he promised his wife. He said he was going to read a book and he had almost finished a book. So those were his three. I've nerded out and bought a gaming computer and have been eye racing. That's been my new hobby. <laughs> I've taken nice. I'm with. So, have you picked up anything new, or are you just just concentrating on workouts and all that kind of stuff?
2: Um, I've been fishing a lot. Well, I guess the last week or so I haven't been. But <clears throat> when I first had to get home uh, and come home, and you know, this whole thing was kind of up in the air, and nobody really knew what was going on. That was kind of like my my stress relief. That was like my it's almost like meditating to go out there and go fishing. I live on a lake, I grew up on lakes. Uh, I grew up bass fishing with my dad. So I was out there at least three hours a day and we caught, I live with guys that I grew up with. And so I was with at least one of them each time. And uh, there was days where we caught 30 fish. There were days where we caught one fish. Uh, I caught the biggest fish in my life, went away with the scale we had. Scale didn't work. Uh, <laughs> I got a little emotional. I slammed the scale on the floor of the boat, shattered it everywhere. So we had to buy a new scale. Uh, but it's been, you know, like I said, it's, it's a meditating, uh, until you catch the biggest fish of your life and and try to wait.
1: And the scale doesn't work. I understand (laughs) it. So we, uh, we had a good time talking with you. Hope all things go well with the champions rise challenge. And,
2: uh, hope to see you soon here at the ballpark. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Stay safe. And, uh, Go Braves. Hopefully we get to play some baseball soon. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Swung on and missed. Strike three. Shane Green fired up.
0: Our thanks again to uh, Shane Green for joining us here on Behind the Braves, presented by Billy Reed. Uh, again, it was, it was very cool of him to run out of the gym, hop in the truck, and, and do this interview with us uh, over Zoom. Um, and again, thank you to all you out there for understanding. I know we're, we're usually in the alumni lounge or we've got all of our fancy equipment and our microphones and headsets and computers and all that kind of stuff set up. And Hey, we're just doing this over zoom right now. So we appreciate you listening to that. And, uh, I know it sounds a little different, but, uh, Hey, that's what we're, that's, that's, uh, that's just how we're having to do it right now. And, uh, it's working pretty well for us and, uh, we haven't had any major technical difficulties so far which is pretty amazing seeing as though I'm the one overseeing all the technical stuff because that's, that's a scary proposition in and of itself. Uh, but luckily, it's working so far. So our thanks to Shane uh, for joining us here. And I wanted to give a shout out to you, Greg, for this really cool thing that you put together. Folks, if you didn't see this, of course, uh, a couple weeks ago, and this episode comes out, it'll have been a couple weeks, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, Fox Sports Southeast aired the entire 1995 World Series of which Greg McMichael was definitely a big part of. That was fun for me, watching those games and watching you pitch and literally rooting along, uh, saying, come on, Greg, you know, get out of this. And then, you know, uh, an error happens behind you. And I was like, oh, boy, I hope Greg holds it together here. That kind of thing. It was fun to root along uh, with you. Uh, But a thing that you put together that was just so much fun for everybody involved, or at least looked like uh, everybody that was involved was having a good time. And for those of us watching, we had so much fun. Um, And the reason I bring up zoom, uh, you had almost the entire 1995 team assembled over zoom watching game six together. And those couple of hours were just absolutely hilarious. They were insightful, but really, really funny. I mean, Obviously, you were there, kind of serving as the host of it. But I mean, you had Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, you had Justice, you had Leo. Uh, if I start naming names here, see that's bad because there's like literally there were like twenty three of you or something mm-hmm. in there. So I don't want to miss yeah. the Crime Bobby yeah. I mean, just to I mean, just let me think off the top of my head here. Uh, Crime Dog did, did some, some reps on his rowing machine and showed off his rowing certificate. Uh, Smoltz put on a wig. Um, let's see. All these different things happen. So where I'm going with this is, first of all, folks, if you haven't seen this, go to the Braves YouTube channel and go take a couple hours out of your schedule. If you're a Braves fan and you you know you've read about the 95 team or you remember the 95 team, Go through and just watch this two-hour clip of these guys over Zoom. It is so much fun, so funny. And kudos to you, Greg, for putting all that together. I know that wasn't an easy thing to get all those guys, but it seemed like that everybody
1: had a really good time. Well, it was the marketing team, Greg Mize specifically, that came up with the idea. I think we had seen that um, the Boston Bruins had, had, had done it for their 2011 championship, and it looked like it was like, hey, maybe we can do that. And as I talked to more and more of the guys, they were excited about it. We 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 have a lot of guys that are out of the area from that team, about half the team. So we were able to allow – Fox was allowed them to watch the game, which helps. So we had to set up a little system where we could all be watching it, and then we could all be on the Zoom call as well, which uh, made it to be a lot of fun. But, yeah, everybody just kind of picked up where we left off and – and i 've got periodically we've had these guys together over the years. I think we did a um, ten year and uh, maybe a twenty year so but but we always serve or allow alumni weekend to be a chance for all these guys to get back together and then this year we were specifically going to do something for the for the uh, being twenty five year anniversary of the team but I don't know if that's going to happen. So I wanted to do something, especially took the opportunity since Fox was going to be showing every game, all six games, so to take the opportunity for us to get to get, get together. So it made, it made it to be a lot of fun. One thing I will say is that I was amazed that, uh, of what I didn't remember. So when you're watching, i say, of course, we all know Marquise, you know, Catches the ball, Wallers jumps up, we all pile on. That's shown over and over again. But what I didn't re- remember was me giving up a double and, <laughs> and getting out of it. You know, to Tony about when I was about a foot from going out. And then having to pitch, then I threw like eight pitches that inning. So I had like, I had like eight, uh, six ground balls in a row after that double. So things like that, I just didn't remember. There are certain things you do remember about the World Series and how you felt certain situations, but there was a lot I didn't remember. I was amazed at all the things that happened during some of those games that were uh that were pretty special. Like, you know, Marquise having setting the record for the number of hits in the postseason series was pretty amazing. And then um the big inning that Pedro Borbone had and yeah. just all the great plays Lemke made and and I you know Smoltz only threw two and a third the whole series. I mean you never hear that, you know. Maddox pitched two games, Glavin pitched two games. The Smoltz got knocked out early, and and then didn't. You know, he was supposed to pitch Game Seven, and he didn't. But uh, it, I was amazed at how much work the bullpen actually did, and how big a part of that World Series that we were.
0: There, yeah, there were so many things. Like the, I'm glad you touched on the Pedro Bourbon kind of coming in saving the day. That is something that I just it kind of slipped from my memory a little bit and to go back and see that and watch that and he hadn't pitched in something like i think it was something like 19 days or something prior to that and he you know he had to come in and close it out but that was that was cool i was thinking about we all it gets talked about a lot that the the david justice comments before game six that came out Mm -hmm. in the ajc that day and i was kind of which by the way another one of the maybe the funniest line of that whole zoom call to me was Eddie so uh, D- David asking, Eddie, DJ asking everybody like, <laughs> like mainly the pitchers where they were like, were they in the bullpen, were they in the dugout during this moment? Eddie chimed in and said, "Yeah, I was in the bullpen booing you." <laughs> that was along with the fans, yeah, that, along with the fans booing with the fan. But I was thinking back in a pre, that was right before the internet existed, and obviously, or was in widespread existence, and um, obviously pretty far before, uh, social media. I was thinking about that, like what that must've been like for everybody who's reading the paper at that point, mm-hmm. And everybody sees that. And the headline is justice rips Braves fans. And I thought, you know, back then he has no way, at least, I guess a, a possible positive side of having your own social media and stuff. Now is you can go out and defend yourself and you say, yeah. "Now wait a minute, here's the context of what I said. And I'm sitting there going, he just had to wear that all day back then. And he had to hear of the fans booing him coming up to the plate in his home stadium in the heart of the order in game six, of the world series and he's getting booed. And I'm just like, man, yeah, that had to be, I just, I just, well, I can't, you know,
1: well remember early in the season we were coming off the strike. Right. And, and Glavin was a big, was our players player rep, but he was the guy that was uh, up there in the New York meetings. So when he pitched early in the season, he was getting booed. Yeah. So that we were we were kind of used to that at at that point, you know. Uh, of course, we didn't expect it to be in the World Series, but but there were there was a lot going on during that season, especially coming off the strike, and fans weren't real happy with us. And, um, you know, being a shortened season, shortened spring training, all that good stuff. But uh, it was be well, interesting.
0: The the storybook part of it it was it was it was a, a bit poetic in that game six, and you finally win it in that. Glav is the one that pitches eight scoreless innings, one hit ball, becomes World Series MVP, and Justice is the one that gets the home run, that gets him his run that he requested uh, mm-hmm. um, to to win it. So it, it worked out in a in a nice way, at least. At least it had a nice happy storybook ending to it. I like you touched on this, how you alumni weekend is usually the time for you to get all the guys together and for all you guys to see each other and tell stories and catch up. I think maybe the coolest thing about that Zoom call. Uh, that, you, that you put together, um, is that you guys virtually got to do that. You got to catch up and have, and get to cut up and joke around stuff. But that everybody who watched or will can go watch it now kind of gets to share in that. And it's like almost – like I felt like I was just a fly on the wall getting to watch you guys talk and have fun and, and cut up with each other. And it didn't feel like it was something that was censored or restrained or – you know, painted up or anything. It felt like you guys were all just hanging out, and all of us are just getting to sit there and watch and laugh along and enjoy it. So, it's an extra special thing for the fans out there because it is—it's you guys getting back together, and this is a time where all the fans actually got to share in it and get to be be in the room, It's kind of virtually, you know. So, again, go to the Braves YouTube page and check out that that uh, that meeting. That was uh, that was a lot of fun for everybody involved. So. um well, Greg, I, uh, listen, we don't know any more than we knew the last time we were with you here on Behind the Braves, presented <laughs> by Billy Reid. As far as restart time, we're reading all the same articles. Listen, we're recording this on a Friday. This episode, I believe, will come out on a Tuesday. The the news and everything could have changed even more uh, by the time this episode comes out. So I'm just hoping and praying that uh, we keep keep getting good news and um, that things keep trending in the right direction so that we can start playing baseball at some point this summer. Yeah, me too all right well thank you to all you out there uh for listening as always and for rating reviewing subscribing behind the braves presented by billy reed we very much appreciate it and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time everybody stay safe out there we'll see you soon Hey, Braves country, we just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves.